Let us rise again from our seats and receive our scripture reading today, which comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, KSPC. What a wonderful Easter morning. If Good Friday, um, the day of the most excruciating death of our Lord, can be called Good Friday, how wonderful is today? Amen. Uh, Can you ask each other or tell each other, he is risen. And I'm going to ask you to follow up with a really weird question. Do you need someone to talk to? I want to let you saturate in that word for a bit. And I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for gathering your people and for sharing your word today. We need the Holy Spirit's illumination to understand today's word for great personal benefit. Because we can talk about all the theology and all the theory in the world and yet not come to a personal joyful conclusion about who Jesus is and who I am. So Lord, um, please speak to your people. I know you are ready to talk to uh, some very special individuals today who we don't know yet, but are waiting to be revealed. And Father, we know that you are faithful and good. You never fail. So we trust in you as we open your word today. Let there be great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I was supposed to... uh, you know, the, the best sermon preparation happens uh, when we start worshiping. And by that time, I'm not in front of a computer. I don't have things to write it down with. And there's no space on the paper. So I can't write down what I wanted to talk about. If I get to, sorry for alarming you, if I get to the seventh point in our sermon today, <laughs> can, you, can someone in the audience ask me, what about Sherlock? Can anyone ask me that? I will forget. Okay. Ask me that. That will conclude the sermon. I feel like I have to pray again. <laughs> Welcome to KCPC. Um, Holy Week started with Psalms, uh, Palm Sunday, Holy Monday, uh, Fig Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday. I hope you learned all these words throughout the past week. And yesterday was Silent Saturday. Wonder why it was silent. Uh, Let's think about why it was silent before the resurrection. Why was there a lack of a response? 
with the questions posed by us. And with that in mind, I want us to watch this one-minute video and just imagine, take our minds uh, to the imagination. Let's watch this video for a second. We all have these questions, right? Uh, we need someone to talk to. Uh, Saturday was silent because history could not answer the most fundamental and ancient questions that we have in our heart. Am I loved? Do I matter? Do I belong here? Do I have someone I can love? Is there intimacy? Can truth and beauty coexist? We don't know. Until the resurrection. Amen? Until the resurrection, these were questions we could not ask or answer. And we need someone to talk to. Jesus said seven things on the cross. That's really famous. But the empty tomb, although it is empty, was empty of a physical body, but not of content. It has something to say to us. The tomb has a word for us today. It speaks to us today. There are seven things I want to go over very quickly. Verse number one. Let's look at verse number one together. Now we see here, although Jesus died the day before the Sabbath, Mary and Mary uh, came to finish the preparation of Jesus' body after the Sabbath. And so they had to rest on the Sabbath. They couldn't do any work. But this was to fulfill the prophecy of Jonah's sign that Jesus would rise on the third day. The very fact that the story of and the birth of the church started from an empty tomb speaks volumes. Jesus died the most excruciating death, coupled with shame and betrayal and nakedness and torturing and beating. But he came back from the dead. And so not only did Jesus go through the worst of what we can also, but he is also alive right now to tell the story. The first thing that the empty tomb tells us is that Let's look at the slide. Jesus knows our suffering to the utmost. Point number one is that Jesus knows our suffering to the utmost. Uh, we should see point number one up there. And he is alive and can therefore empathize with you, all other people that can emphasize with everything we've been through. Most of them are dead because they went through death. But only Jesus can fully sympathize and empathize with us. Just as the Super Bowl commercial said, he gets us. He understands us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. There's something else to ask also as well. Not only does he get us, like why are there all these details in this account? Why the details about the crucifixion? Why the details about the day, the state of the day, the time of the day? Why talk about Mary and Mary? You know, back in the day, uh, the Jewish legal system, you needed two eyewitnesses to prove the truthfulness or veracity of an event. Ironically, back then, uh, one woman counted for 0.5 of, of a man's uh, testimony. And so these two women's testimony put together would just be one testimony, not enough to stand a legal test of whether they're telling the truth or not. Uh, but here it is. Like, if the disciples of Jesus Christ were preoccupied with proving the truth of the resurrection, why utilize two females to talk about this event? Why? Because it's setting them back legally. The truth is, that's how it happened. That's all there is. Like, that's how it happened factually. But so what, though? 
Like, what happens if a dead body comes back to life? What does that mean for us? Like, it has different meaning depending on the context. A dead body coming back to life, depending on the context, it could be a Ripley's, believe it or not, newspaper article, right? Or, uh, depending on the context, a dead body coming back could be a zombie movie. Uh, like, what does that mean is a, such an important question that depends on the context. And so, what are they trying to prove by giving all these details? They're saying we have a specific context that explains what this factual and physical resurrection means for us. What is that context? Psalm 1610, it says that God would not let his chosen one to see the corruption and decay of death. These are centuries before Jesus came. Hosea 6.1.2, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Isaiah 53, centuries before Christ, is all about a crucified and suffering servant of God that will come back to life. There are no less than 10 prophecies about the whole resurrection of the Messiah who would come to forgive sins. Do you get that? The Messiah would forgive sins if he died and came back, to, and came back from the dead. He is the Messiah, therefore what? The second point of the resurrection. You actually are forgiven. Amen? You actually are forgiven because everything else was so factual and so actual. This is not poetry. This is a, uh, this is a documentary. This is stating times and facts and people and events for one purpose, to give you the actuality of your forgiveness of sins. You can't just hope for it. It is an, it is an actuality if you believe in Jesus Christ. John Blanchard put it this way, just as surely as there was an actual cross, an actual body, an actual blood, actual death, an actual resurrection, so there was an actual atonement an actual forgiveness, not merely the possibility of one. So there is our first, one of our, one of our ancient questions being answered. Are you accepted and loved? Yes, you are. And the Bible goes through painstaking measures to ensure that you believe and believe that you are accepted in Christ Jesus. Amen? Don't wish for forgiveness. You are forgiven if you are in Christ. And a lot of you are crushed with guilt that you have not talked about. And you need someone to talk to. The tomb speaks to you today saying, you are actually forgiven. What good news. Verse number two to three, let's look at verses two and three. There happened to be a great earthquake. Now this is, not, this is probably just not a physical earthquake. Uh, its primary meaning, uh, the primary meaning of this word which is seismov, right, in Greek, it actually means commotion or disturbance. So its meaning often depends on the location of where it's happening, the context. For example, if there is seismov in the ground, commotion in the ground, it is called an earthquake. And in Matthew 8.24, there is seismov in the water, they call it a storm. Question, where are we right now in this text? Location matters, right? Because it's a disturbance of the location. It's on land. Yeah, it's not getting the point, though. Somewhere between life and death, this whole text is taking place. 
Somewhere between judgment and forgiveness, this text is taking place. Somewhere between natural and supernatural, divine and worldly, this seismov disturbance is taking place. So I'm saying that this earthquake goes beyond just a physical one, but it is a metaphysical or a supernatural disturbance of reality. Something about our reality shook. Someone came back from the death to life. Someone came back from the moral scale of sin and judgment, and he tilted it forever in one direction by one man. And the ground shook because death had been conquered. There was a disturbance in the force, for example. There was a disturbance in reality. So the third thing that the empty tomb tells us, let's get the slide. Jesus has risen, and so will I. Amen? You might not be saying amen because life is really hard for you right now. Like, is that life worth living twice or three times? We are getting to a better conclusion. Something about reality changed. And something about your reality can change because there was a disturbance caused by the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Christianity is a dangerous religion. Uh, it will not leave you the same before and after. There is a seismov in your own heart that you will also be changed in Christ. And we look forward to that. There's been such a commotion and disturbance in the fabric of reality. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 to 53, he says, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed forever. Amen. Verses 4 to 5, let's look at the text. The guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But here's another interesting thing. The angels tell Mary and Mary not to be afraid. And so there are guards on the ground like corpses because they're so afraid. And there's Mary and Mary being told not to be afraid. Interesting, right? So the resurrection of Jesus, if you think about it, is a horror story for the world. Because it tells us that there is something beyond the grave and therefore there is a possibility or the finality of actual and final judgment and accountability. Judgment upon sin and justice done upon all. And we all feel the need for that, right? Like how many of us have said that we need to dig Hitler up and bury him again? Because he didn't pay for the sins of killing 6 million people. There has to be something afterwards for there to be actual accountability. Or we give up moral accountability once and for all and live however we want. But when Jesus came back and the fabric of reality changed, it is saying there is final mercy and final accountability. And that satisfies our hearts so much when we see the world. Remember, I, I talked about working at a tribunal in, in Yugoslavia where they lined up people and they shot them eating sandwiches where the machine gun was tied to a white plastic table, the ones that we have at church. Such a jarring image. You see people lined up getting shot and there's photographs of that and there's evidence of that and there's stories after stories and you're looking at that, you're like, God, where are you? Like We are so isolated from the world in Northern Virginia that we don't actually see true, and ev true evil. But anyone who's gone through war 
or some kind of persecution, they know that there needs to be mercy, but also justice. Conveniently, we divide up society by gender or ethnicity, left and right, sexual preference and class, and we all tend to wish judgment upon the other class and mercy upon my class. And that is a good instinct because you feel the need for justice. It's just that you have demonized the wrong people. I am subject to justice. But yet, when you come seeking Jesus, as the angel says, I know that you have come to seek Jesus. Therefore, he says, do not be afraid. If you are in Christ Jesus, you need not be afraid because although there will be final judgment and final peace and mercy, it's based upon a new criteria. Judgment for those who are not in Christ and peace and mercy for those who are in him. And that has no other obstacle or boundary apart from your confession that apart from you, I have no access to eternal life and I have no access to forgiveness. Lord, have mercy upon me. And this is the fairest criteria that I can ever think of, which is not elitist. It is not designed to keep people out. It is designed to suck people in, into the mercy of our Lord. So I invite you, accept his mercy for you today. Because as we see the next slide, we will see that the fourth communication of the empty tomb, there will be final judgment and there will be peace finally. I offer you today, if you are not believers of Jesus Christ, that you would not see this as a pressuring call to make a decision right now, but consider this. We need mercy and we need justice. Are you sure you are on the right side? If you do not believe, I ask you to repent of your independence and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord today. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verses 6 through 7. The angel says, He is not here, for he has risen as he said. He says, come see the place where he lay. And he almost is like, you know, test out the veracity of his claims. He said this. Now see, look, look inside. He opened a very heavy rock door open just to prove a single point that there's no one inside. Like he is offering and proffering evidence upon evidence to check the veracity of Christianity. You know, they say that the best sermon is telling people what you're going to say telling them what you're saying, and then reminding them of what I said. In that sense, the empty tomb is the most robust sermon ever. Jesus said he would die and rise from the grave. That happened today, and that's being verified every single day of our Christian lives. The empty grave has not been overturned factually or scientifically or by historical document by any single scholar in the whole world. It has never been overturned. That's why People can be angry with Christianity. It's just that they haven't overcome its claims. So what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ and ours as well, our own resurrection, is a triple reinforced truth. He said so. It happened. It's continuing to be, uh, it's continuing to be verified in the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean for us? The fifth message of the empty tomb is this. You can trust God. I don't know if you get this. <laughs> you can trust God today. 
Amen? What does that mean? I mean, like, trusting God is such a vague idea. Like, what does it mean for me right now? He has 7,487 promises in Scripture. Read them. Understand the context. Apply to yourself well. But understand he is a promise-making God. You can trust all 7,487 promises in Scripture. What if he says, I will never let go of you? Peace to our heart, right? You can trust that. You can trust that. And we don't have to live a fear-based life. Every single time we start doubting and don't understand the content of God's promises, we always back up our mistakes by fail-safe mechanisms. Insurance, life insurance, you know, multiple relationships, friendships, multiple jobs, occupations, positions, anything to overcome my fear for stability. But scripture says, the tomb says, the empty tomb says, you can trust in God because he kept the most difficult promise ever. What is it? That he sent his son to die for us. And he rose from the dead to prove that we can trust him today. Do you live like you trust him today? Amen? Read the promises of scripture. There will be a rock hard foundation for your trust in the Lord. And every, de- every day, you can be as free as a bird because these promises are true. They have held true and they are for you today. Verse number eight. Mary and Mary ran filled with a new joy and a new fear. This has a lot of things that, that, that has ramifications for us today. Their previous fear on their way to the grave was probably, did they steal Jesus' body? Like, is he not the Messiah? Is the Roman government going to come after us now, now that our leader's dead? And their joy was dead. They didn't have any joy be- uh, before this incident. Maybe their joy could have been if Jesus became the political Messiah and conquered Rome. But that wasn't the case. And so the resurrection, what what does the resurrection actually do for Mary and Mary? It flips over the axes and criteria of what we fear and what we enjoy. Do you get that? It flips over what we should fear and what we should have joy in, which is the greatest predictor of our behavior. How are marketers so good at getting us to buy products because it's based on hopes and joys and fears? And that's why when you are a believer, Scripture says the world cannot withstand you. Like the world cannot withstand you because it cannot predict how you're going to act because you're not living off of fear and doubt and worry anymore. You are operating out of a new axis, a new criteria of what to fear And what to have joy in. What are they afraid of now? What are they joyful of now? They are fearing with a healthy fear. The God of the universe who would love us so much that he gave his only son. That is our only fear now. We do not fear death. Amen? And what is our new joy? They rejoice that God's promises, his power and promises are more sure than the threats of Rome. That's their joy. I wonder how you are living based upon your fears and your joy, but it can be totally different. Your life can be totally different if the axes of your joy and fear change. 
Everything has changed. Remember, there was a seismov, a earthquake, and everything changed, including what we fear and what we love. Our affections have changed. I used to love sin. I used to love engaging and indulging in the flesh. And so many people ask me, Pastor David, isn't it so weird giving up this and this and this and this? Like, aren't you like torturing yourself? And I'm like, no, my affections have changed. Like, I don't know how often I'm going to recycle this story and I feel so bad for my daughter. (laughs) Uh, My daughter once ate poop (laughs) out of her diaper. I am not worried that she's going to do that when she's 20. Because affections change once you understand reality. (laughs) When the resurrection opens your eyes, you do not cherish sin as you once did. It It doesn't have that appeal for you anymore. Therefore, you celebrate holiness now. And you love the Lord. You stop liking the world. In fact, you start hating the things of the flesh because the axis has shifted. The sixth message of the empty tomb is this. You are now liberated to fear correctly and enjoy correctly. Amen. If only the world loved the things that it should have loved and hated the things it should have hated, which was our problem from the start, from the very beginning, it would have been different. But the empty tomb, once again, gives us an opportunity to recalibrate what I'm supposed to love and what I'm supposed to hate. We call that sanctification. Final two verses, verses 9 through 10. On their way, they meet Jesus. Just want to say amen to that. They meet Jesus. Yeah. And guess what he says? Hi. (laughs) I prayed an hour for this. I don't know what to make of this. Like, What am I supposed to say? Like, Jesus says, hi. There was an earthquake, seismov. There was an angel brighter than lightning and wider than snow. That was the original title of the sermon. I, I, I didn't think I could pull it off anymore, so I changed it. But wider than snow, brighter than lightning. There was an earthquake. There was miraculous deeds going on. The, the, the guards feared, and Mary is filled with fear and joy. Where is this all building up to? Hi. Like, what, what do you do with this? This passage is so colorful and powerful that it makes us ask, what is the main focal point of this passage? Is it the earthquake? Is that what the sermon's about? Is it the angel? Is it the light? Or is it the snow? Is it, you know, what is it? And in the Old Testament, I, I, I was thinking of Elijah. There's a story about him that, that is very similar to this. Elijah ran to the wilderness, a prophet, and God instructed Elijah to stand before him on a mountain to talk to him. And what happens? God sends a mighty wind so strong that it broke the rocks in pieces on that mountain. But it says there, Elijah couldn't hear the voice of the word, uh, the voice of God there. Next, God sends a fire and an earthquake, just like today. He sends a fire and an earthquake, but Elijah couldn't hear God in those phenomenon. But finally, it says what? God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice, or what we call a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. The same is today with today's passage. The focal point is not the earthquake. It's just a phenomenon. It's not the, it's not the angel, just a phenomenon. God sent him. The main focus is high. 
And we need to understand this. Hai in Greek means rejoice. Rejoice. One word that somehow solves everything because, listen to this, the person who said it. For example, if I went to Pastor Sam and I'm like, Pastor Sam, I've been having a crazy week. I don't know what to do. I, like, I, I can't do any of this. And Pastor Sam goes, Pastor David, hi. <laughs> Rejoice. He wouldn't be a good friend. <laughs> he talks to me way longer than just hi. But you need to feel this. Like, I, I need to tell you a story. Like, I pray to Jesus. I pray to the Lord. And I say, I'm so angry. <laughs> like, there are so many things that angered me the past few weeks. I cry out, I'm so angry. And the tortured, crucified, and resurrected Jesus comes to me and says, Rejoice. And somehow that melts everything away. Somehow. I'm so lonely. Like, I thought marriage would solve everything. I thought children would solve everything. I thought being surrounded by ministry would solve everything. I thought being bilingual would give me more access to more friends. But I'm so lonely, Father. And he's like, my disciples betrayed me. Rejoice. Hi. The resurrected Lord tells me hi. I'm like, Lord, I need love. I need affection. I want eternal life, but I don't see examples of that right now because everyone's dying. There's so many diseases or my sickness. What do I do, Father? And the resurrected Jesus, only he can say, rejoice. And somehow that the most anticlimactic ending of this story is somehow true for us and it somehow gives us joy. So you know what? My greatest impulse after every sermon is I want to run home, go into my closet and just pray because I need to hear him speak to me. Like, a human pastor speaking to you will not give you that joy. My only hope is that the voice of God will be speaking to you right now. You need to hear him tell you, I have overcome the world. I have died. I have risen. I've been through suffering. I've been through torture. And yet, hi, rejoice, my children. The final message of the empty tomb. Let's look at it at the slide. You can rejoice because Jesus is God. It proves that Jesus is God and you can rejoice. You really can because he has overcome the world. He's seen the end of the movie. Like, I want to watch John Wick 4. Sorry, it's a violent movie. But uh, if someone who saw the end of the movie told me rejoice, <laughs> um, then I would trust him because he knows the ending. Jesus knows the end. And he knows a new beginning, and he tells me, rejoice. Well, actually, okay, you don't have to ask me, what about Sherlock? I, I remembered. I'm going to end with this. Um, How does that story go? Watson and Sherlock um, went into a tent. They went camping, and they went into a tent. And they wake, wake up around 2 a.m., well-rested, and they're, and they're looking up. And uh, Sherlock goes, Watson, what can you tell me about the stars up there? And Watson's like, I see Orion. I see, you know, this must be some kind of a season. I don't know, some kind of astronomy. And he's like, what else can you tell me? 
because that's elementary. And he's like, oh, the wind is shifting this way. The wind is shifting that way. I guess we're heading for a cold day tomorrow. Okay, what else can you tell me? On and on he goes about scientific observations. But at the end, uh, Sherlock is furious and he goes, Watson, you dimwit. Someone stole our tent. That's how we see the stars. We observe and dissect the resurrection and the empty tomb. So much, like, you know, point one, point two, point three, four, four, five, six, seven. And I ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to know? What, what, what do I communicate to your people? What do I tell them about the resurrection? And I ask over and over, yeah, like we're going to c- come back alive. Like you forgave our sins. We're actually saved now. Death is gone. No more final judgment. We'll have peace. There will be accountability. God keeps his promises. I can trust him every single day. I can now have proper affections. And I can rejoice because Jesus is God. And Jesus is like, you dimwit. What is the actual unwritten point of the resurrection? I love you. God loves you. I don't know how else to say this. God loves you. And that is the stupid point that we have to understand as Jesus says hi to us. I wouldn't spend time with myself if I resurrected and came back from hell. I'd be busy on my business and go back to the Father. But he stopped by me and he said hi to me and he spent days with me. He gives me his Holy Spirit. He gives me the church. He surrounds me with his resources. He gives me everlasting hope. What is he trying to say? He loves me. And I want to tell you, God loves you. And you need to know that. Before the resurrection, ancient questions were unanswerable. Am I loved? Am I doomed? I'm not perfect. Will will that be accepted? Can I be condemned or forgiven? Is there hope for me tomorrow? Is there a reason for me to live right now? Should I trust other people? Can beauty and truth coexist? What if nothing works out in life? Is there eternal meaning? We had no one to talk to. Philosophers and professors and teachers, educators and influencers all try to give us an answer. They try to answer these questions, but these questions are unanswerable in a world disconnected from God because of our sin and his holiness. So we have no one to talk to. Saturday is silent for that reason. Until there is a resurrection Sunday where Jesus tells you and me, I love you. You're accepted. You're forgiven. There's purpose in your life. There's meaning for you tomorrow. Go make friends because I have assured that community and intimacy is now possible. Don't fear for depression. Don't fear for financial collapse because I tell you that if you have a little bit, a mustard seed of faith, I will provide for you. You are my child. You know, we, because we don't have the answer for, to the question, like, am I beloved? They say there's a psychological study. Because we haven't had the question answered, this question, am I beloved? Most men turn to pornography. Because they don't know if they're beloved. And they see acceptance unconditionally on a computer screen. Why go to gambling? Why, you know, turn to affairs? Or why turn to education? Why turn to religion? Because you don't know if you're forgiven. And you keep on trying and trying and trying to be acceptable. 
And we had no one to talk to until the empty grave spoke to us. I love you and all the things in life. The axis has changed now. And there's a seismov that changed and turns our world upside down. And we can rejoice. Because now everything makes sense. And we have someone to talk to. Amen. You are beloved children of God if you believe in Jesus. And my last request, let's say God takes me away right now. There will be one question that I need to ask you to not regret this sermon. Can you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Jesus is such a a good king. I don't need to beg for him. He deserves to be honored. He is noble. I don't need to beg for him like a beggar, but I will because he is so good. I am a beggar showing other beggars where I found my bread. I'm a student telling other students where I found my answers. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him. Come to him to receive life upon life. That is the resurrection. That is the message of the empty tomb. Praise and come up. And let's respond. But let me pray for us before we conclude. Father, don't let us be like Watson and guess and guess and guess about what the meaning of the empty tomb is. So many have critics have written support, written a criticism against the empty tomb, whether it's real or not. N.T. Wright has written a few thousand pages worth of, the, of proving whether the empty tomb is actually real, and he concludes it is true, and it is true, and it is true. But we need to understand, as Christians, daily unsophisticated Christians like us, that the central message of your resurrection is the fact that you did it for us and you love us. And now we have someone to not just talk with, but to have intimacy with and to trust in and to lean upon. That is the God that we need today. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that you approach us and with your scars on your hand and with the with the scars on your side and the scars on your feet and the scars on your head, would you look at us and smile and say, hi, Greetings, rejoice, I've overcome it all. And I did it for you. That you wouldn't be swamped by all these questions that had no answer until you met me. Stop searching in the wrong ways because you'll only rely upon the things that don't quench your thirst. You'll get addicted. You'll look for things that never satisfy you. You will never find the answer. And our Lord invites us one more time to trust that the tomb is empty, but the word is loud and he speaks to us today. So Father, I ask that you would speak to those whose hearts you've prepared to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins, that when I place my trust in him and repent of my sins, that he will not just receive me, but adopt me as a child of God where I will have all my, not just my needs met, but all my questions answered and my needs fulfilled in him alone. May that be the invitation that people respond to today, this glorious Easter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.